just lift your hands with me just for a second? I just want you to focus on Jesus and just thank him. You remember, you remember what it was like when you didn't have him? tenderness and that kindness it's never stopped how many of you are thankful for the love of God I want all my experiences and all my history to be just consumed with one thing just the love of Jesus Thank you for loving me, Jesus. I thank you for saving everybody in this room. Thank you for calling them out of darkness into light, making them my family, for placing them where you've placed them, God. I thank you, Jesus, for loving each and every one of them. You've been there through their low times, through their high times spoke to them. You've given them dreams and revelations. You've given them prophetic utterance. You've given them intercessions. All crescendoing to one massive glory where the saints of Jesus Christ operate as the family of God under one flag, one kingdom, one authority. God Almighty, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, over this city, over this state, over this nation, over this world. God, that your family's been reunited by the blood and the DNA of God. all the time, but the power of thanksgiving is absolutely incredible. What God does is absolutely magnificent. But what God does in the presence of thanksgiving surpasses that into wholeness. There was nine lepers healed. Only one made whole. 
hour of thanksgiving just to stop and say, God, thank you so much. It's not about what you've done so much as me coming back and giving you the glory. Because when thanksgiving happens, glory begins to move and God's healing and his restoration begin to be released. Because then it's just, it's no longer God moving on us. It's us coming back and cohabiting with him and this unity between him and us, which satisfies his heart because he doesn't want to do anything without his people. And when we come back to him and bow down and say, thank you, God, it releases something from him. Something comes out of his nature and his being and creates restoration in the hearts of his people. So thank you, Father. Thank you for the hard times. Thank you for the bad times. Thank you for the good times. Thank you for the healings. Thank you for everything we've had to go through. Every trouble, we release the thanksgiving of God over it right now in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Father, for allowing us to still be alive, to have purpose and destiny. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I appreciate you guys. Thank y'all so much. Uh, if, if you're if you're if you're new here, thank you for being patient with us. We we get a little excited. If it's too loud, I I, I apologize. If you want to come back tonight, it'll be the same. But you can sit back there. It's a little quieter. I just really believe, and I think it's awesome to see God, what he does, and people, some of you guys don't know, but a year ago, some of these people that were dancing up here were bound in religion to see Mennonites and Church of Christ people. <laughs> That's so good. And so, you know, you may not know their story, you may think it's a little bit too aggressive, but to them, they're finally free, and Jesus is so good to them, and he's, he's just awesome. I love him a lot. So thank you for being patient with us. I, I know maybe, maybe it was your cup of tea, and if that's the case, great. If it wasn't, I, be patient with us. Pray for us. We're, we're working on it. Amen. You all excited to be here this morning? I've really been looking forward to this. I heard um, um, Brother Clay preached several years ago, and I thought, man, that's, that's an awesome dude right there. I can just, I was really blessed, and I don't usually open my doors to anybody. I'm pretty particular about who I let come in, and, and so I've been really excited about this, and um, been looking forward to it. So you guys welcome him. Brother, come on and take your liberty. Somebody say, wow. wow. <laughs> Been a good morning already, right? Yes. It's always good to be with God's people and to be in his presence. Amen. Yes. Um, had a dream last night. Uh, to some of you, uh, it won't surprise you that know me pretty well. I uh, moved into a real stewardship of dreams a few years ago and the dream that I had was over northern Arkansas really the Ozark I actually looked up the a map of what they call the Ozark up here which goes into uh, Missouri uh, actually gets over into Oklahoma I was surprised I, that was a learning to me I, I didn't I think I knew it but I'd forgotten it 
And in this dream, there was a glass dome over this area up here. And there was a, a sound released and the dome shattered, but it didn't fall. You know, it'd be like you ever hit a glass and it shatters, crack goes everywhere. And then as I woke this morning and I was pondering the dream, I heard the Lord say, uh, tell the people that are here today that it's not a time to push rewind. It's not a time to go back to something that was at one time. The Lord said, I'm pushing fast forward. And the Lord said, for every day of obedience that is, I'm cutting off a day at the end. And he says, I'm going to bring you into your inheritance quicker than you have dreamed about. The Lord said, I've already cast the net for the prodigals. And some have been able to resist. But there's a new outpouring of the Spirit, says the Lord, that's going to bring such conviction that they won't be able to resist. For I'm about to release out of you that are here and watching by live streaming a sweet-smelling savor, something that's going to cause the appetite for Jesus to increase. And the Lord said they're going to put away their busyness, they're going to put away their excuses, and they're going, going to come running, says the Lord. For truly, I will cause them to taste and see and know that the Lord is good. It's time to shatter that dome. It, religion has put it over this area. And it's time for that glass dome to be shattered. God wants to give America. But God, he wants to give America an open heaven, but he wants to release over this area an open heaven. I think most of you have at least heard I was going to be here today. I'm Clay Nash. This is my first wife, Susan. Amen. I always travel with my first wife. Coming up in April, we'll celebrate 69 years of marriage. Oh, 49, yeah, excuse me, 49. What am I doing? Wow. It's that fast forward word. 49 years of marriage and over 60 years of friendship. We have three wonderful children, four perfect grandchildren, and a dog named Harley who is very much a part of our life as well. And we are Boone County residents. We now own 374 acres of land out in Boone. Oh, I, I, excuse me. I'll, cl I'll close on the last 10 acres this week if Matt gets the job done. Amen. <laughs> no, just joke. Uh, we'll close on the last 10 acres, and uh, we'll have 374. I was flying to D.C. the other day. And uh, the Lord spoke to me that there was a scripture tied to the 374 acres. And so I began to look, didn't take a long time to look, and I came across Psalms 37.4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of the heart. And I knew God was speaking to me, hadn't, you know, wasn't able to talk with Susan. 
And when I got off the plane, I looked where I had put some pictures about where we live. We call the land after the ark. And, um, and I looked, and a lady who we used to pastor years ago had put on there said, it's very evident to me that God is giving you the desires of your heart. So I thought that was a pretty good confirmation on that. But I'm honored to be here. Uh, I'm honored to, uh, uh, I believe, began a journey with Pastor uh, Chat here to uh, building a relationship. I'm very interested in what God's doing in, um, in North Arkansas, Southern Missouri. Good to have a friend, Regina Shank here. Wave us, Regina. Regina and we go back a ways. We've been walking together. How, how many of you have ever been on one of our calls that we do Monday through Friday? Amen. We're, Regina hosted sometime when I'm not available. Uh, we are all part of NEI Network Ecclesia International, which is Dutch Sheets as Apostolic Alliance. And uh, thank you, Regina, for driving from Carthage to be here today. I'm going to begin today. I've got a I've got a message that God has solidified in my heart, and I'm going to talk to you about: Are you living your life as a question mark? Or are you living your life as an exclamation point? And uh, th- we are in a time, and I, I, I can sense it in the room, you know this, but we're in a time that we must live our life as exclamation points. Amen? We, we can't live like God does. I couldn't help but thinking a while ago when we were singing about the goodness of the Lord and some things. I, w- I want to start with just a testimony of mine. When I was five years old, I was struck down with a sickness called encephalitis. You're from Arkansas, you're from Some call it sleeping sickness. My brain began to swell. I was paralyzed. I was rushed to Le Bonheur Hospital. I was put in. Doctors did not give any kind of good report. At the same town, the little town in Arkansas I was raised in, population 400. My best friend's younger sister died of the same disease. There was not a spirit-filled expression in that little town. It was a Methodist church and a Baptist church. You could stand in the Methodist parking lot and, and throw a baseball and knock the windows out of the Baptist church. That was the only two expressions. Not that that was bad, but that's what it was. No one was prophesying my healing. Everybody was saying, Shirley died, and you know he's going to. But both my parents worked out of the home, and I had a, they had a housekeeper that cooked meals and washed clothes and, and took care of us and really was a mama to uh, myself and my sister. And uh, after being in the hospital paralyzed from the waist down, they brought her. Her name was Mary Thornton. They brought her to Memphis, Tennessee, to Le Bonheur Hospital to visit me. And she told I don't know that my dad was there, but she told my mama there, she gave her a prophetic word, and it began like this, God done told me. Now, if y'all haven't found that in your Bible, that's thus saith the Lord, okay? And she told them that God had told her that he was going to heal me. And God had told her that not only would he heal me, that I would preach the gospel around the world. Now, my mother and dad were not saved. My family was a bunch of heathens. To say not only that I would be healed, that was strange. But to say I was going going to become a preacher, 
That was just weird. <laughs> but she prophesied that, and in just a short period of time after that, one night I had a ferocious appetite. I was laying in Le Bonheur Hospital, and my mother asked the nurse on duty, she said, can you get him anything to eat? He's hungry. And the nurse came back a little while later, and what she brought was grape juice and crackers. And she said to me, as she gave it to me, she said, let's do the Lord's Supper. Let's do the Lord's Table. I had not been raised in church. I, didn't, I really didn't have an idea of what she was talking about. And the church that I'd attended maybe at Christmas and on Easter, I'd watched them. They went to the front and, you know, knelt, and the communion would be put out there. It wasn't even a real emphasis there. And anyway, I ate the crackers and drank the grape juice and don't remember what she said, but the next morning I woke very early and as a little boy sometimes needed to do, I jumped out of bed, went to the bathroom so I could wee-wee. Can you say that here? Okay. <laughs> and my mother, who was not saved, who was sleeping on a day bed in that room, suddenly became Pentecostal. Well, at least she had both hands in the air thanking Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, let me share with you another part of this prophecy. I've now ministered in 58 nations of the world. That's not the whole world, but that's a big portion. I appreciate the prayer today over the Ukraine and Russia. I've, spent, I've been to the Ukraine, I don't know how many times. No people there have been in contact with one from there that I've kept somewhat of a relationship with. I've been to Russia many times. I've actually had the privilege four times in my life. I drove from Wales to Russia and drove in a vehicle. I know what it looks like over there. I know what's going on. I prophesied the other day on one of the calls I was on that 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 Kiev, that the Ukraine and Kiev is like a cathedral. And God was going to establish his bishop's share of authority there so he could touch that region. That word cathedral actually means in both the Greek and Latin, bishop's share. And God is doing something there. Keep praying for these people. They are so, so, so standing up strong they're they're praying they're they're not giving in and so it's time for us to stand with them and so that's a bit of my testimony Susan and I are honored to uh, live up in Boone County uh, if you haven't heard what we're doing we've kind of twofold we're building we'll start in March on a 50 by 50 building that's going to become a leadership training center and then uh, towards this 10 acres we're buying, we're going to be building a wilderness life skill camp for uh, adolescents. And uh, let me just tell you about it because I get emails. Uh, grandmothers write me and said, my grandson's on heroin. I want to send him your account. That's not who we're looking for. Maybe we'll grow into that. 
but what we're looking for are young people who have support groups who are functional because we want to train them how to disciple their peers. You can run all the discipleship programs in this uh, congregation you want to, but if we can start getting our adolescents to start discipling their peers, then we can touch the nation on a greater capacity. And so we want to bring them there, teach them life skills, teach them how to flow with Holy Spirit. I'm not planning on doing all this teaching. Some of you, I believe, will do some of this teaching. But one of the things I want to teach is God in our Constitution. Amen. Some of the adults need to come in and sit in that class. I want to begin this morning with two dreams that I've had in the past, but I believe they're pertinent to what God is doing and God is wanting to do in this region and territory. Let me pull it up here. I dreamed the generals of the body of Christ were standing facing an ocean body of water. They were backed by those joined to their leadership roles. Behind them was the cross of Cape Henry. How many of you are familiar with that term? It's in Virginia. We've been there. We've prayed there. It's where a man named Robert Hunt came. They came by boat. When they could see land, they tied offshore and for three days after being in that saw, let me just tell you, those ships were not that big they came over on. I've been on a replica of the Mayflower. It's just not that big a ship. And he told the people that was on it, said, we're not touching the land until we fast and prayed for three days. And they consecrated themselves to the Lord. And he had brought from England where he came from a, cro- a wooden cross. And they finally went on land and they erected that wooden cross. It's rotted. It's gone now. Something else had been built in, in, uh, approximately in its place. But he made a covenant with God. He actually consecrated North America to the Lord to become a place of evangelism. His prayer is so powerful. And so behind this group of people, these leaders, was the cross of Cape Henry. The leaders stated one by one to stand steadfast. Say that with me. Stand steadfast. As the cross was backing their stand. Always is, isn't it? Their standing were many leaders. I, I, I'm not even going to go into their names. I mean, people you would know and many that I didn't recognize. Of the countless leaders I didn't know, behind them were millions of believers from all walks of life. They were gathered there because of a, the result of a prophetic understanding and word that a tsunami was coming to our nation. Look at your neighbor and say tsunami. Look at your neighbor and say big wave. A tsunami was coming to our nation. As the tsunami came into sight, the command began to come from the leaders to raise our, their prayerful decrees for the tsunami to pass over those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. As the tsunami came, it came as a total surprise to many, but there was also those who were prepared to release heaven's decree into the tsunami, not in order to stop it, but in order to permeate it with kingdom life and direct it to be as the wind that would create a threshing floor effect. The decrees 
carried such a sound to heaven that the tsunami would set some of the people who were crushed in fear back to their stand in fresh hope and completed faith. Say that with me. Fresh hope, completed faith. Others who allowed themselves to be blinded by their fear and relaxed in their relationship with God were overwhelmed by the wave and were swept out into the deep by a dark, unseen undertow. All this is taking place right now in our nation. Those that stood steadfast, having eyes of faith to see and ears fine-tuned to hear, used the tsunami to lift, be lifted up to a higher platform of, of authority. Say higher platform of authority. And purpose. They were released into a new flow of purpose that was secured by their willingness to trust God in this new level of greater authority. The leaders began to give prophetic directives about prayer initiatives that would now secure their inheritances and establish God's original design for this nation. Can I, can I pause there for a minute and say something to you? Don't believe this nonsense that tells us we're not a Christian nation. There is so much evidence that we are. One of them, we go back to George Washington way before the founding of this nation. In the French and Indian War, he was shot at. Four bullets went through his coat. Two horses were shot out from under him. And later, 10 to 15 years later, I forget exactly what it was, an Indian chief came to him and said, may I speak to you in the voice of prophecy? And prophesied to him about 15 years before we became a nation, a nation that he would become the father of a great nation. That, ex that in itself, we could even go back beyond that, and they're trying to crucify him now, Columbus, but he had a visitation of an angel, and the angel told him to read in the book of Job, and that's where he discovered the world was not flat, it was round. And the, and the angel told him he would discover a great nation which would become light to all the world. We have word after word after word and experiences that, that has established us. And the cross of Cape Henry is one of those. God's original design for the nation. The end of the dream came as a small plane came flying over with a banner attached and it said, look vertical, not horizontal, as answers are on the way. The leaders then began a time of praise for God's faithfulness. That tsunami is not a wave that's going to bring destruction. It is the weightiness of God's glory that's coming upon the earth. It's the awakening. It is the reformation that's going to result in transformation of place. When Billy Sunday, how many of you heard his name? Susan's grandfather was saved through the radio ministry of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday's ministry was very different. He had been an athlete. And the difference was when he held an evangelistic crusade, 80% of those attended were men and not women. So when they got saved, and he held a long revival in Boston, and so many men got saved that bars began to shut down. They laid off firemen. They laid off policemen. The men loved to come see him because one of the things that Billy Sunday would do, he would jump up on the pulpit, the podium, on his hands, and do push-ups with his feet in the air. 
And men would come and they would hear that word that pricked their heart. Now, ladies, I'm not leave, leaving you out with this, but I'm telling you, when, when, when the head of the house gets saved, things change. When the, bar when the guy that owns a bar gets saved, things change. Are you hearing me? And so it was so important that we see what happened during that time. And I'm telling you, we're in the same water. Holy Spirit's being poured out. When I got born again way back, everybody say way back, almost 100 years ago now. When I got born again, there was a move of God in Arkansas. Any, anybody here ever heard of a little place in Arkansas called Cotton Plant? Amen. One hand I see over here. I, well, there was a Baptist church there, and they started getting all the bad boys saved. I mean, the guys that got saved were the roughest, bar fightingest, meanest, unfaithfulest, and they just started getting drastically saved. And a move of God came. I, got, I didn't get born again as a result of that church. I got born again because my mother-in-law and four other Methodist, United Methodist ladies went to Israel. And while they were in Israel, they went and visited the historical site of the upper room. And while they were there, Holy Spirit fell on them. And they didn't come back Methodist. <laughs> they came back tongue-talking, praying, and they started a, a prayer list. They put 27 names on it. I got to see it one time. The head of, at the top of that prayer list with 27 names on it said, Holy Ghost hit list. <laughs> All 27 of us got born again and went into full-time ministry. Almost everyone. Are you hearing me? Why? Because God endued those women with power from on high. And they wrote our names, my wife's name. She got born again a week before I did. There's a book on the table here somewhere called The Real Deal. My publisher wrote it about my life. It's a story of redemption. I was not raised in church. I was raised USA heathen. Anybody ever went to that church? Well, that's the one I grew up in. But yet, prayer began to bring conviction. And prayer began to cause my heart to shift and change. And one day, I, I tell everybody, this is my testimony. Jesus, when they started pray, praying, Jesus started kissing me. If I ran to the West Coast and took drugs there, he was kissing me. If I ran, I was a truck driver, owned a trucking company. If I ran to the East Coast and took drugs, he was still kissing me. And I finally just wore out, kissed back, fell in love with him. We've been in love ever since. Amen? He, he is a kisser. And he wants to come, and he wants to change people. Where's, where's the young woman that was here on the front row earlier? I saw her at the front. Is she still in the room here somewhere? Where's, where's she at? I heard the Lord. Is that her there? Yeah, come up here. Is it all right if I prophesy to her? Yes. What's your name? The Lord said the dark clouds are being blown away this day. You've lived under storms. You've lived under dark clouds. You've lived under disappointment. God said, I'm blowing them. This is a brand new day. I'm not starting a brand new chapter. I'm starting a brand new book over your life. The Lord said the tears you cried in the past, I've been keeping every one of them. 
And the Lord said, I'm about to, I bottled them up and I'm about to anoint you with the tears that were tears of sorrow. They will now become tears of joy. That which is broken, that which has been broken because of decisions, I'm going to put it back together, but it won't be put back together like it ever once was before. The Lord said, I'm going to build integrity into that which I put back. I'm going to put a strength into it. The Lord said, you must break off the shame of your past and embrace the pureness of your future. The Lord said, in doing this, I'm going to cause you to become a voice to other young women who are hurting. The Lord said, you've asked to be forgiven. He's given it. You've chosen to forgive those who have hurt you and used you. But the Lord said, you must forgive yourself. And so I'm going to lead her in a prayer with your permission now, but I want everyone in the room. How many of you know, there's just one in this room? In fact, let me just ask you this. It's been in my spirit this morning. What's the population of, 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 of the earth? Huh? Good answer. Okay. Actually, the population of planet Earth is two. Because you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. Amen? So we're, we're in Christ today. And so I want you to say this with her. Okay? Father, you've forgiven me. And I accept that forgiveness. I rejoice in it. But today, I ask you, strengthen me to continue to walk in forgiveness towards those who have hurt me. But today, as an act of my will, I forgive myself. I no longer will feel second place. I no longer will, will embrace shame. Today, I am your daughter. I'm a handmaiden of God. I'm a daughter of Zion. And I thank you, Lord. My future is redeemed. I'm going forth in Yeshua's name. Father, we bless her. Dress your hand towards her. We bless her. We ask that you endue her with power from on high. Let it happen now. In Jesus' name. Let it happen now. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Bless you, sweetie. Bless you. Second dream. This dream has two men in it. Maybe you'll know of them. Maybe you won't. They represent something. It's not about them. The two men is Dutch Sheets and a man named Ray Hughes. It, you've probably heard of Dutch's name. How many of you know of Ray Hughes? Ray has written over a thousand songs, great friend of mine. In fact, if you think of me in the future, pray for Ray. He's battling with, with uh, cancer, and now doctors have told him he's got Parkinson's disease, and he's in the battle of life. But I'm telling you, he is with, he's found him a place in God, and he's believing for his healing. He's just an incredible, incredible guy from Kentucky, raised in the hollers of Kentucky. 
And if you think I sound a little bit Arkansasan or redneck, listen, he, he, he's more so than me. But there's so much life on him. He knows the history of our nation incredibly. But anyway, I dreamed that Dutch Sheets asked a team, Regina, you were in this dream, we were to go to Cane Ridge. If you're not familiar with Cane Ridge, it's in Kentucky. It's where the Second Great Awakening it actually was birthed at the Red River Meeting House, moved down to Cane Ridge. Davy Crockett and his family were touched at Cane Ridge by the outpouring there. And he asked us to go down to Cane Ridge because he wanted us. I've been there numerous times with Dutch. He wanted us to decree into the land there to bring forth the power of Pentecost that had once released there. We arrived in several vans. When we arrived, Ray Hughes, who is from Kentucky, was already there, and he was preaching. And he looked out and saw Dutch, and he called him up to preach. This was not planned. Dutch did not know he was there. Ray did not know Dutch was coming. When we arrived, there was a significant handful of people there. Dutch and Ray began to tag preach, and the preaching went throughout the night. When the sun came up the next morning, there were people surrounding Cane Ridge as far as the eye can see. They said during the Second Great Awakening, there were up to 30-some thousand people gathered there. There's more people buried at Cane Ridge right now per landmass than anywhere in the United States because of all the people that were touched at Cane Ridge would have their bodies shipped back as far away as California to be buried there because of the touch of the Lord that it came. They actually tell us that they're, they're buried 10 deep to be able to handle all the people that's been buried there because of the smallness of the landmass. They print when the sun came up the next morning, there were people surrounding the ridge as far as the eye could see. The power of the spirit would fall and people would be slain and begin to speak in tongues. Ray and Dutch kept it going for three nights and three days. Then Ray and Dutch started a fire tunnel. Uh, you, you understand, you know, they were there and people would pass and they would lay their hands on. They started a fire tunnel for the people to go through so they could release what had been stirred up in them. The fire tunnel took 24 hours to complete and finished at midnight. Dutch and Ray rested around a fire, and when the sun came up, there were thousands and thousands of more people who had arrived. A man came up to Dutch and Ray and told them he was buying them a motor home to rest in because they could not leave yet. The dream recycled over and over and over and over and over until I saw USA Today, which said, after 44 days and nights of preaching at Cane Ridge, Kentucky, America burns with revival and the pockets of fiery awakening burning across the nation are spreading, thus bringing public life to a pause. This dream actually came before COVID. How many of you know COVID tried to bring us to a pause? But there's something coming poured out by God's spirit that's going to bring us to a pause. There was an outpouring in Kentucky years ago. We have a friend 
that was part of it was in his high school. And so many kids were getting born again and filled with the Spirit that the school board and the teachers got together and this was their plan. Let's just let it run its course. Let's bust them to school every day, not have any classes. Let it run its course. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Won't it be great when God interrupts the public schools? Won't it be great when the Holy Spirit falls into the Senate or the House? I don't know what you're praying, but I'm praying their tongues cleave to the top of their mouth for about three days. And the holy feel of Yahweh comes into their heart to where they no longer make decisions because of what's been put in their hand behind their back. They make decisions based upon what the kingdom is saying. Can you say amen? Now, I wanted those dreams in you before I go into this. When you're living as a question mark, you, you will see a lot of procrastination. You'll see a lot of double-mindedness. Double you know, you ever been around somebody that, that claims God put sickness on people to teach them things? Yeah. Well, if you believe that, then you can't believe that God heals today. He's a healer. God, why would God want to put sickness on you to teach you something? Regina, you got grandkids. You want to put any sickness on them to teach them anything? And Father God's a better parent or father than we are. You know, one of the hardest things in our life in raising our children was when they would be sick. You know, it, it just, it anguished us when they were sick. And after we found God, our, we, we did, when we were first married and began to have kids, we weren't Christian. But afterwards, we had a deal. We would, we would pray for them. And if they didn't get, then we had a, a, a quilt that was my prayer closet. And we'd wrap them in that quilt and pray again. And I can tell you, we saw the miraculous of God in our children. We watched what He did. We didn't have insurance. And we didn't have the money to go down and, and pay, the, pay the doctor. You know, I watch people in the congregations that I lead and how they just run every time their kids get sick. You know, and, and I want to ask them, did you pray first? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying there's an order to what God does and we need to put our faith in Him first. Are you hearing me? But when you're an exclamation point, you're going to be seen and, and not just heard. St. Francis of Assisi said this, preach the gospel wherever you go. Yes. And when you have to, use words. Yes. <laughs> Think about that. We need to be preaching it out of our lifestyle. We need to be preaching it. You know, with, with the conduct that people see in our children, in our, in our families. You know, we need, to, we need to be an example for them. Now, I want to I read to you from Luke 4, if you want to go there with me. I'm going to read several scriptures, and then we're going to break this down to give you a contrast between living as a question mark and living as an exclamation point. I preached the first Sunday of this year in Arkansas, in Eureka Springs. And on the way into there... Into Eureka Springs that morning, the Lord dropped this into my spirit. And, and Regina's been around me a long time. Some others in the room have. When I get pregnant with a word like this, I preach it to it won't preach no more. I mean, I don't, you know, it's a word. And I, well, listen, God's looking for exclamation point. He wants your life to be saying something for the kingdom. He wants you to be an ambassador of the kingdom. 
Wigglesworth sat across the train car one time in front of a guy, didn't say a word, and the man told him, said, you convict me. I want that kind of anointing and authority in my life that just entering into the presence of someone, they become convicted by it. I believe that hunger's in this room today. Verse 1, Luke 4. Then Jesus, being filled with Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Listen, if you had not been to the wilderness, it'll come to you eventually. Amen? He wants to take all of us to the wilderness. Are you hearing me? Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and after when it had ended, he was hungry. I've asked God, why, you know, how many of you know, you go 40 days without food, you're going to be hungry. But God saw fit to put it in there. There's a, there has to be a truth to it somewhere. I know it's true, but I mean, there's a revelation. And the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give to you and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune time. We find the same story in Matthew and Luke. But what I want to begin to bring out, there's four things here that will determine whether you're going to live your life as an exclamation point. A sound for God. A, a, a witness for the Lord. You, you, it, it, we must be the witness no matter where we go. Whether it's on the school board, the chamber of commerce. It's not about, listen, it's easy to be strong and full of faith. There's faith in this room. We could step right now into miracles because it faiths in the room. But God's looking for the faith that's in us to be released out in the marketplace and on all seven gates or mountains of the Lord. And we've got to, we are in the process of taking it back. The first thing he said, if you are the son of God, the first thing you got to settle to be an exclamation point is your identity. If your identity is not settled, you'll live your life as a question mark. You'll live your life, well, I know God can do this, but will he do it? Let me just share with you. A little bit over two years ago, we had a son-in-law killed in an accident. And about seven months after he did, our 13-year-old granddaughter took her life. We didn't see it coming. We didn't have those signs that, you know, they'll tell you about. We missed it. We didn't see it. We prayed for her, but we, and I want to tell you, it knocked my feet out from under me. I'm the guy's prophetic. 
I'm the guy that's told people their phone numbers and social security number. I've heard God speak some very unique things, but I never heard anything. Her name was Hannah Rain. And it drove, our daughter had not healed from the loss of her husband and drove her in. And we've just recently beginning to see a, a, a turn for the positive. In fact, she's just getting moved into Arkansas and taking on a new job. And, and God is doing some things. But see, all things work together for. Not all things, not all things for the good. Not all things are good, but all things can work together for good. But you've got to let your voice. And so Satan tries to get us to doubt our identity as children of God. Let me just share with you. My identity is not in that I'm a, a prophet or apostle or a minister or fivefold or that. My, my identity is totally tied up in the fact I am a son of God, just as you are. A daughter of God, a daughter of God, a son of God, a son of God. It's tied up in that. And even beyond, you know, and I say this, but I'm a Christian, and I believe there are Christians in this room, but how many of you know that's become a cheap cliche in our nation? The word Christian means Christ-like or anointed one. Are you hearing me? See, I believe that we've got to become followers of Jesus. You know, we've wore the bracelet. What would Jesus do? Amen? But yet we don't see that, that conduct come out of people. See, when Satan put that word if in front of Son of God, he was tempting to put the seed of doubt. He'll always come and try to put some doubt in you. He'll come and try to steal from your identity. Second thing, That if you're an exclamation point and not a question mark, he said, turn these stones into bread. Satan tries to get us to perform to prove our standing with God. Listen, God is not into performance. He doesn't need your performance. Can I tell you a word he gave me back in the 90s? I was in Nottingham, England. I just spoke in one of the largest conferences I've ever spoken in my life. There were at least 300 apostles I'm talking about God called apostles in there. And I spoke and I brought the word of the Lord. People were patting me on the back and, and just talking about, I need to write a book about what I preached. And, you know, I'm from Arkansas. Oh, you are too. I'm, but anyway, and, and my head began to swell. I know you don't have that problem. I did. And that night, my best friend from Canada was speaking, and he started out referencing what I'd preached that morning, and he started out mentioning me, and my head got a little bigger, and all of a sudden, God spoke to me, and this is what he said. Clay, on your best day, you've not helped me much. I fell out of my chair on the front row on my knees. I'm crying. She's sitting beside me. She's wondering. She didn't hear him. I heard him. And about the time I hit the floor of my knees, he, you know, I felt like he, he hit me in the gut when I fell out of my chair. But then he gave me a karate chop right on the back of the neck. And he said, but on your worst day, you've not hindered me a bit. I came to the revelation that he wants to use me, but he doesn't have to have me. I came to the revelation of the wretched, arrogant person that I was. And I began to crucify 
You know, Watchman Nee wrote in one of his books, he said, the problem with a living sacrifice is they keep trying to crawl off the altar. Listen, if I'd, have been a, if I'd have been Isaac, I'd have looked up and said, Dad, I'm not near as sure about this as you are. <laughs> Dad, I know you sharpened that knife, but I, I still feel, I'm, I, I feel like I'm going to have a little pain here. Are you hearing me? I'm sure at some point it crossed his mind to get off of that altar. But, you know, many, many people said that uh, I've heard preachers preach that Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh there but if you go into the Hebrew and read it that's not what it said it said he named that place there Jehovah Jireh see the place of your ultimate sacrifice is always the good place that God provides the Lord gave soon our word 30 some years ago that every time we came to our ultimate sacrifice, if we look up, we see a ram hung in the bush. And we've watched it. You've walked with us through some of them, Matt. If you, we've watched God provide, you know, what we're doing here. Can I, can I boast in the Lord for just a moment? Yes. When we bought the land out there, the original 353 acres, less than four years ago, for $700,000, when we made the payment the other day, we're down under $150,000 owed on it in less than four years. I mean, I, I don't know. That might not mean anything to you, but that's big. When God told us to do this, I in fear and trembling said, uh, okay. You know, it's, it's great to hear God, but sometimes it's not as easy to, to step out in faith and to, to follow him. But we came to faith. We did what God said. We started praying for another piece of land and house, and we closed on it a few weeks ago. And then we heard about another piece of land. It's near where we want to build this camp, and it's got a well on it, and it's got a septic system on it, and it's everything we need that will save us money. And this coming week, we should be able to close on it. God answers prayer. Can, can you hear me? He answers prayer. And no, he didn't do that for Sudan and I because we're special. He did that because we are his children. He did that because we embraced the covenant of God and we warred with it and we did. And believe with us, we're believing by December the 31, we're going to have it totally paid for. And put up this 50 by 70 building that we're building. We believe that. We, we're going to get it, get it done. He said, turn these stones into bread. He wants to get you to perform. God's not into performance. Amen? Amen. I was in a meeting years ago in the Sun Dome. Pretty significant size conference. Three or 4,000 people there. A friend of mine had put it on. I was one of the speakers. Another prophet and I gave a word to the sons of the worship leader. They were on the worship team, two young boys. I'm still friends with them today. And we gave words to them. And when we finished giving words to them, people started lining up to give these two young men words. And the leader of the conference leaned over to me and he said, what y'all said had authority on it. What they're saying doesn't. What's the difference? And I said, well... We prophesy because God gave us something. They're prophesying because they need to prophesy and be seen. I'm going to talk about the prophetic tonight in tonight's service. 
I've written a book on it. I've been living in it for 40 plus years now. See, they were performing. Many places that Regina and I and other people go, people come and want to give us a word. And, and the word is not unscriptural, it's not unbiblical, it's not, but it's more about I want to impress them. I want to gain some favor with them. Are you hearing me? Be cautious about it. God, God doesn't need you to perform. Amen? You're at that very conference I'm talking about, I came home from it and I had a granddaughter that was three years old, our firstborn. She just turned 22 this week. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? And I got home and she said to me, her name's Haley, and she said, Papa, you're my favorite preacher. And you don't ever preach at the home church anymore. I go every Sunday and other people preach. I traveled in 2003, three weeks of every month. I said, Papa, I miss your preaching. And I said, Haley, I brought home a video. And I plugged it in, and she got in my lap. And we started watching it, and she had her finger in my hair curling it and tell me how good a preacher it was. And I just said, Haley, what do you want, a Shetland pony? <laughs> a Corvette car? Now, she wasn't working me. Are you hearing me? She wasn't wanting anything. She was loving on me. Papa just wants to, Papa God, Abba Father just wants you to love on him. Listen, he, he's extravagant with his love. He's extravagant with his blessings. Are you hearing me? He's extravagant with the release of resources. But see, he doesn't want your performance. Number three, remember what he said? Let me go back and, and read it. He, he offered him the pinnacle. See, a lot of people want to walk with God and serve God and have a ministry, but they don't ever want to go through the process or the pain to get there. Dad Hagen, brother Kenneth Hagen Sr., who I have a heart full of respect for, was asked, he was speaking, I'm, I'm talking about very shortly before he stepped into heaven, he was speaking to a group of pastors 25 years young and younger. And one of them asked him this question. He said, Brother Hagen, is there anything that you would do different if you could do your ministry over? And he said, yeah, one thing. He said, I'd teach more of what I went through to become the man of faith that I am because I'm afraid that people believe they can read my books and become who I am without going through the process of pain. If Dad Hagen can say it, we better listen to it. And if you think you're going to come in, Susan and I ever say, we only, we only like walking with people who walk with a limp. Remember how Jacob wrestled all night? You better have a limp in your life. You better look back in, into your, that time when you wrestled with God. I had to wrestle with God over the death of my granddaughter. I had to wrestle with God. You know, I'm not in any way asking for pity, but we've, we've had two son-in-laws now die prematurely. I'm this young, one of our daughters has remarried, and he is a brave dude. Amen. He is a brave dude because we lost both of our son-in-laws. In fact, our son-in-law that I'm speaking about is, has rented a building. He is absolutely, this is, a, this is an advertisement. Is that okay? 
He's absolutely the best auto mechanic I've ever known in my life, and he's already rented a building in Harrison. He'll be opening his business real soon. They bought a house here. Incredible guy. Been in my life 30 years. Does all, does all my work, and I used to be a GMC truck dealer and a Subaru car dealer. And so I've got an automotive background, all right? But what I'm trying to say is we had to learn to walk with a limp. We had to wrestle with God. Can I tell you one of the things that you never do when you're wrestling with God? Don't ask Him why. He will not answer you. Ask Him what? What are you going to do to get glory out of this? We've watched how He's touched other people through the people that watched us. See, Satan always wants to offer you the power without the process or the pain. See, he, he, tempted, he attempted to give Jesus a shortcut in inheriting all the kingdom, but without going through the power of the pain and the process. Jesus suffered everything we will ever suffer. He was tempted in every way, but yet he stood strong. What are the temptations that's coming to you? What are the hardships? There's a young woman here in this room, Jessica, that's a spiritual daughter to Susan. Good to see you. A few years ago, we held the, an Arkansas prophetic summit in Little Rock, and she was just about to ship out to Kuwait. We laid hands on her. We commissioned her for a time there. And I remember when I got your email that she got to go into the children's hospital in Kuwait, somewhat on a regular basis, but she went there and began to see those children touched and healed and stirred for God. But I also remember the emails when she first got there about how hard it was and lonely. And she was really one of the only believers at first when she got there. And she asked, could she hold, what was it, weekly prayer meeting? Weekly prayer meeting. Went to her commanding officer and that was, I think, first offered a smaller room. I remember what she wrote. She said, I just took on the spirit of my spiritual father. And I looked at my commanding officer and I said, that room's not big enough. I need a bigger room. She didn't know, she hadn't started. She didn't know what she needed, but she had a dream from God. And she grew that prayer meeting while she was there in Kuwait. Are you hearing me? I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's going on. You are there to be a game changer. You are there to make a difference. You're there to be the voice of heaven, the voice of the kingdom, to intercede when no one else is interceding. But you got to understand there's a, there's a process in pain. He's forming us into His image. See, He wants us. Listen to this. Everybody, everybody fasten your seatbelt. I don't want anybody running out of the room. What He wants you to do is think of things he, God would think of should He think of them. <laughs> now, see, some of you are going, tilt, tilt. Let me explain. That's just simply called the mind of Christ. There will be some times that come in your life you don't have time to run home and fast and pray. There'll be times in your life, listen, I went into East Berlin before the wall fell. I worked in, I've been in every former communist nation there is. I was the guy, I was from Arkansas. I thought I was bulletproof and glowed in the dark. 
And they would just send me into these tough places to establish Bible colleges. And I wasn't scared. And in those days, we didn't have phones. Most of my trips were a minimum of 27 days. I'd do five 27-day trips a year to Eastern Europe. And Susan wouldn't hear from me. I remember one time I was in Romania, and I stood in line for like six hours to get to a phone. Because I heard the Lord say, heart attack. And I just knew it was my dad because he'd already had five heart attacks. And I called my wife and got her on the phone. I said, how's dad? Did he have a heart attack? No, but I need to tell you something. I said, what? Your mother had a heart attack. God didn't tell me who, but she was fine. And so what I'm trying to say to you, it's not always easy to follow God. But it's always rewarding. It's always filled with peace. And God always takes care of your family. Those times that I was gone. You know, my first trip that I was to go to Zaire, Africa. In those days, if you were to get all your shots, you had to go to the Veterans Hospital in Little Rock. On 6th Street there, or 9th Street. I mean, it's the only place you could get them. You couldn't get them out. So I go to get all my shots. And I sat down beside a man. I didn't know who he was. And we got to talking. He said, what, what are you here for? And I said, I'm getting all my shots to, to go to Zaire, Africa. It's now Congo. And he said, really? He said, I know somebody that works in Zaire. And I said, who's that? And he said, Dr. Bill Lovick. I said, that's who I'm going with. <laughs> and the man turned out to be a man named Terry Nance who wrote the book Armor Bearer, which I had read. And then prayed, Lord, one day I want to meet him. We sat beside each other in the veterans hospital come time to go get my shots and he handed me something I didn't look at it until I was headed home that day he sold a thousand dollars in for my trip to go to Zaire now let me tell you one thing I learned don't ever go take all seven shots at one time <laughs> I not only thought I die, was going to die I prayed I would die I'm telling you I mean I took cholera and not, not, I don't know what all every shot you had to take to get over there all in one day, you know, I just kept waiting down to the last minute. I want to tell you, it, I got sick, didn't I, soon? It was, took me a little while to get, and I had to preach that night. That was a, that was a real interesting part. I mean, fever and, and everything. Number four, question mark or exclamation point. Satan tried to get Jesus to fall into the sin of presumption. He set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are... Let me just tell you, you are children of God. You are daughters and sons of God. Don't let him get you into presumption. Let's talk about something for just a minute. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How does faith come? By hearing the rhema or God breathing. It doesn't come any other way. Can I, can I just... I don't believe you can read the Bible, God's Word, and get faith unless God breathes on it. You can get hope, but you don't get faith. The faith, He told us, we got nine different words to acquire land in Arkansas. So faith comes to But how many of you realize even when faith comes to you, there's still a journey till you come to faith? See, when you come to faith, you become one with the truth. When you're coming to faith, you've not yet become one with it. You've not, and you will know the truth. The word know there is the same word Adam knew Eve. 
It's a net word of intimacy. It's a word of becoming one. And so when he said to him here, Satan tried to get him to fall in the sin of presumption. Can I just share with you? We have seen countless people become shipwrecked because they moved out on what they wanted God to tell them, but yet God had not spoke it to them. Amen? You can't move. You must recognize, and that's, I'm going to talk about this tonight. Let me just give you, can I just give you a little av- appetizer for tonight? When you recognize the voice of God, it neutralizes the words of the devil and silences the feelings of your flesh. Scripture, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. John 8 something. Actually, John 10, 27, excuse me. But anyway, think about this. It didn't say you won't hear the voice, but you won't follow it. In other words, when you've heard what God's telling you to do, I, I'm, I'm going to try to be nice, but I, keep, I got an email the other day. There's a person up in this area that keeps saying I'm a false prophet, Dutch is a false prophet, that I wasn't supposed to come here. I have no business in North Arkansas, and I'm going to fail, and every, you know, all this stuff. You know, it doesn't bother me. I just pray for her. Lord, bless her with a revelation. I'm not moved by people that prophesy against us. I'm, not, I'm moved by what God is saying. Yeah. And I know what God, I would never stepped out to purchase. <laughs> Can I just tell you, we're, our, next, our next birthday is going to be, we're going to be 69 years young. I'm supposed to tell my wife, say, she's going to be 49. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to be 69 years young. And we were getting real close to uh, coming into debt-free living. I have a... I have a congregation in South Haven, Mississippi in a building that we were just told is worth about $2.7 million and we owe less than $90,000 on it. We're real close to being debt-free. And then God said, okay, I got another million and a half dollar project I want you to do. <laughs> Lord, are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> but yet when he told us to do it, faith came with it. And once we became one with that faith, we stepped out. And some of you in this room have walked with us, have contributed, have prayed for us during that time. And we thank you for that. But I want to leave this with you. Don't get into presumption. Don't presume about anything. There's safety in a multitude of counsel. There's safety in a multitude of counsel. Are you hearing me? This is so important that we do. Now, I want to wrap this up just for a minute. I've got to change notes here for a second. If you'll just let me get there to it. I'm going to go to the book of Luke. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to go to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18. I want to read to you just a few scriptures, and I'm going to tie this together. I want, to, I want one of the things that just a mandate on my life, anywhere I go, I want people to get a clear understanding of where we are in this nation. And I actually was just in Washington, D.C. In a, in a significant prayer gathering on Tuesday of this week, and this word came forth in a very mighty way based on a word four years before that to the day. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers... 
Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother casting a net. Everybody say casting a net. <laughs> Into the sea and they were for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, "Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men." They immediately left their nets and followed him, going on from there. Say going on from there. He saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. Say mending their nets. And he called them immediately and they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Now four years ago, there was a 1,300 of us, Regina was there, gathered at the Trump Hotel in 2018. Yeah, it'd have to be four years. Yeah, four years ago. And for three days, we had a prayer meeting there. Uh, I mean, it was incredible. And a word of prophecy was released during that time that God was saying, you are entering into the days to ready the nets for the word will come to this nation. Go fishing, go fishing, go fishing. And you will cast the net on the other side of the boat, and that which you catch will take many boats to handle the harvest. That was four years ago on February the 22nd. While we were there in the same hotel in a meeting, the Trump Hotel, this week, last week, the word came that it was, that it was no longer a time to mend the nets, it was now the time to cast the nets. Now, I want to talk about the word mend. The word mend there is the word cat artizo. Anybody here familiar with it? Well, let me bring you up to speed. In Ephesians 4.11, it said, For he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be she- uh, evangelists, some to be shepherds, and some to be uh, teachers for the works of the ministry or for the perfecting, for the maturing what it says? Well, that word is the word katartizo. And the word katartizo in the Greek, it could be more properly translated aligning of the saints. It's actually a chiropractic word. It's a word that they would understand. Anybody ever been to a chiropractor? Oh, yeah. I love to tell this. Soon that I have some friends. The wife is a professional masseuse. The husband is a chiropractor. And when we would travel and go through the state they were in, they always wanted to stop. And she would give Susan a massage, and he would align my body, and then she would give me a massage, and he would align Susan's body. And when they got through, we come out of there like a rubber band. <laughs> Whew, was it good. Well, when Catartizo comes, there's an aligning. I believe that's taking place here in proclaiming Jesus. I believe there's a Listen. We've made too many converts in the last 50 years, and we've certainly not made enough disciples. How many of you realize discipleship's not a class? <laughs> it's greater than that. It's, it's greater. And we need to disciple people so that they'll think of things God would think of. So that they'll, when they walk through this community, that they're carrying such a presence of God that people are going to be attracted to them. Are you hearing me? And so as you do this, you've got to understand, it's, it, it, listen, you've, you've been, what you're doing with discipleship here, Pastor, is mending the net. But I'm just telling you, the people are going to become that mended net. And it's going to be cast in this area. Other churches are doing it as well. 
I believe God so has his hand on this part of, the, of Arkansas, on this part of, of the United States. I believe there's an outpouring that's coming in, in these states here that's going to be unprecedented. I believe there are values here that are the values of heaven. Can you say amen? amen. But we've got to do what he's, what he's already said. It's not time to step back into the past. Can I just tell you one of my most despised songs? Don't hear it much anymore, but I still despise it. Give me that old time religion. Now, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm not trying to upset you. Listen, I want what God's doing today. I do not believe if, if in God He would have chose for Jesus, the Son of God, to be born now and not back 2,000 years ago, I don't believe He would have walked and rode a donkey. I do believe He'd probably drive a GMC pickup <laughs> with a Duramac diesel. I'm entitled to my... No, what I'm trying to say, God is a God. He's very contemporary. And, and as wicked as the internet is and as wicked as some of this is, it is wicked because people use it wickedly. It's still a tool for the kingdom. I don't know whether you heard or not. He's not a believer. I'm praying he becomes a believer. Elon Musk, you know who I'm talking about? He just, he just hooked up the Ukraine to all his satellites. So they would be able to communicate. I think that's great. And his satellites are going to bring uh, Wi-Fi to rural areas of Arkansas and other places at a reasonable cost and high speed. And I think it's an incredible thing that he's doing. And I've been watching him. And when I saw this, I began to pray over him more. He's kind of moving a little bit towards a, a conservative side. I'm not saying he's there yet, but we need someone with billions of dollars on our side, on God's side. Are you, are you hearing me? See, I believe there's a wealth transfer that's coming, don't we, Matt? I'm just telling you. And when it comes, I'm going to be right in the middle of it. Not only did I get a word to buy land up here, I've been given four words, five words. I've been given this prophecy five times that one day there will be an oil and gas discovery on the land we buy up here. I made sure I got my mental rights. And, and to prove it to us, we have a spiritual son who's a pastor and a house builder in Heber Springs, Arkansas, and he bought 49 acres of land to build a subdivision. Two days before he's to close, he went to the older man. He said, I, I, he had a dream. And in the dream, it was about mineral rights. He went to the man and he said, I am getting the mineral rights. The man stood there and he said, well, you know, old as I am, I'm not going to need them. Yeah, they're yours. He got the mineral rights. Three years after he bought the land, they were doing some drilling in that area, discovered natural gas. And the natural gas now pays him every month between $4,000 and $27,000 off 49 acres of land. Are you hearing me? And he's not special because he's a pastor. Soon then I've sacrificed back in the 80s and put him and his wife through Christ for the nation. I mean, it was, it was, it was hard. We'd go visit them and hide $20 bills in their apartment. So they, they said every time we got down to where we just couldn't eat any more SpaghettiOs, and we'd find one of your 20, and we'd go to Brahms and get a hamburger. <laughs> They've been a long time friend. We, we actually started in ministry with them in 1984. 
We've been running together for quite a while. You're quite a, quite a family of God. But see, God wants to bring that wealth to you. A word was fulfilled. A dream was given about a pipeline being built from Texas to Washington, D.C. In the dream, the man that had the dream called me and he said, the Lord gave, gave me a dream about building a pipeline to move olive oil from Texas to Washington, D.C. But in the dream, the pipeline had to go through Hot Springs, Arkansas. And in the dream, I was to ask you to help construct it. And in the dream, it said that when that pipeline was finished, there would be a wealth release in Arkansas and be unprecedented. We finished that pipeline Tuesday when we were in Washington, D.C., Matt. We know that dream was fulfilled because of what we prayed and what God revealed. A handful of people that met there. Get ready. Anybody here can't use any wealth? Can I have your part? No. I don't need more. I'm blessed. I don't, I don't need... I want to do the kingdom. I want to get behind some of the pastors up in this area. I haven't given a million dollars away yet. Can I ask you something, Pastor? You ever been given a million dollar check? Can I tell you a story? Kenneth Copeland said he was given 34 million dollar checks before the first one cleared. I used to have the cassette tape. Well, I've been given three. They didn't clear. So it's just possible I'm three checks closer to the real one than Pastor Chiat is over here. <laughs> That's how my faith works. First one I was given, her father just passed away. He was a great pastor, and he just passed away. A little girl sitting on the front row by her daddy. I saw him having a conversation. I was preaching. And what she was telling me, said, Dad, I don't know how to spell million, but I want to give that man a million dollars on my Barbie checking account. I have the check somewhere. We don't, we've moved a few times and it's in one of those boxes. Anybody besides us have boxes? Yeah, we're still going through boxes. But I want to tell you something, it released my faith. I'm coming, to, the day will come. Not only that I will come into a million dollar check, but I'm going to write a million dollar check and I'm going to bless ministries. I believe that with all my heart. And, I, and let me just share, I'm talking a little bit about money. We're not taking an offer, that's not why. Susan and I, when we did our taxes last year, we gave over 38% of our personal income away. We've had years as much as 43%. So it's not, about, it's not about having more, but it's about being able to do more for the kingdom. Can you say amen? amen. See, I believe there's some things that need to be done in this area. There's a, some spirits that need to be pulled down, and there's some things that need to be done. And God wants to, well, he wants to bless his people with wealth to be able to do this. Mend the nets. Mend the nets. I close with saying this. I want to pray for you. I believe there's a mantle that God has put upon my life that comes with this word. A mantle to live your life, exclamating what God is saying. The Lord said to me a few years ago, about five years ago, I never want you to say the Bible says. I said, okay, Lord, 
But why? He said, because most people will read it like it's history. And said, what it has said, it is still saying. And he said, I want you to say the word of God is saying. And so I want to release this mantle over you. I believe God, I, I so believe that this area of Arkansas is so key to God's plan. I so believe that proclaiming Jesus is so key to God's plan. You being in Branson, Pastor, I believe it, God's not just uh, doing that accidentally. God has his hand upon y'all and he's bringing you there to pioneer something brand new. And you know, and can I just say, I mean, I've been there and, and we might say another church in Branson. But how many of you know God has his own design, design for things? When I moved to South Haven, Mississippi 24 years ago this week and started the work there called CityGate, we're on, we're on Get Well Road. Isn't that a good name for a church to be on? Yeah. We're on Get Well Road, and I began to look up and down, it, and there's churches everywhere. And I said, God, why another church? And this is what he said to me in March of 2004. I said 24 years, 18 years ago, excuse me, 18 years ago. He said, because I don't want you to teach them how to serve me. I want you to teach them how to enjoy me. And I began to ponder that word to try to understand it. And about six or seven months after that, we had a big snow come. I mean, it's big for uh, North Mississippi. I mean, it was like six or eight inches of snow. And I got out to go see if I could get some rock salt to put on the steps of the church building, you know, so the people wouldn't slip or anything. And on the way there, I saw four men on a golf course playing golf in the snow. Have any golfers here? I'm not a golfer. It didn't make it. I, I didn't know they played with fluorescent balls. I was trying to figure out how they found the ball. I mean, I didn't know all that. I know all this now because I got, had a golfer in my life. And I thought, man, those guys are crazy. Out in this cold weather, chasing after a white ball. I, now, if it was a duck or a rabbit, I could understand. <laughs> I guided duck hunting for 11 years straight. And what, I, what he began to show me, out, he, he said to me, he said, they're doing it because they enjoy it. And he said to me, what you enjoy, you have passion for. And what you have passion for, you do from a rest and not from a labor. Yes. And so the vision at CityGate is this, enjoying God at all times. As we celebrate who we are by knowing who he is. Just that simple. Are you enjoying God? Can I tell you one of the times that my wife and I enjoy God? She rides her own Harley. I've got a Harley, but I also got an Indian. We enjoy it. We spent years riding out to Arizona to minister to hardcore bikers. We enjoyed it. That, listen, this, this woman can put some miles on one. I mean, we, our first trip, she rode her own out there. I kept trying to lose her, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> Not. She laid right in there with us. It's a, it uh, was 1178 miles. You know, three days of it. Are you hearing me? What you enjoy. I enjoy God. I enjoy God. I enjoy Him. I, I enjoy His presence. I, I enjoy His Word. Can I tell you what I really enjoy? His people. 
man, when I watched y'all praying for people here and I saw the young one, I saw people going, man, touch my heart. God's changing people here. So I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray this mantle of empowerment down on you. I'm going to give a couple of prophetic words. Christina, what you went through in the past year was a real pivotal place. And the Lord said, what was so hard has now become a launching pad into that which God has been working in your life and preparing you for. The Lord said, I'm not through working on your kids. And that's the hard part of life at this time. But the Lord said, you've trusted me this far, you can trust me. And the Lord said, I, I'm setting hooks in their jaws and I'm about to reel them in. And when I reel them in this time, they will not throw the hooks, says the Lord. The Lord said, get ready for what's ahead. For you have been properly positioned in this area and I'm posturing you for the future. Get ready for what's coming. This man on the very back, this couple on the very back, come. Would you would you step up this way? Amen. I assume you're a couple. You're sitting by each other. He's been smiling at you some. So <laughs> I hear the Lord saying, "This is a year of promotion. There are far deeper things in you than you even realize." For you were raised to be a man's man, and there's been some tough things that have been around you, but those tough things have fashioned you to also be soft, but soft in the right way. For you are a man of mercy, and that compassion that you have for other people who are hurting is going to open the door. The Lord said, I'm going to bring to your kitchen table, to the both of your kitchen table, couples that need discipled. For there was a time when the devil set out to destroy this union. And he worked hard to do so, but he didn't prevail. And I'm going to take the strength of the battle that you fought together. For a time, it was her battling for this marriage and not you. But I got your attention, says the Lord. I brought you to a stop sign. And that stop sign called the change to begin to work. And you watch and see if I begin to bring, as I begin to bring people to sit at your table and eat of your food. For it's around that kitchen table, discipleship will take place, says the Lord. For there are marriages that are hurting, and I'm going to put a, a, put a, a sure word in the both of you of how to love them and to show them how that they can heal their own marriage and they can be joined together by the Spirit of God stronger than they ever were. And this is not part of your word, but just stand there a minute. I just have to tell this years ago, before we were saved, I came home after being gone two weeks. I was a gambler. Used to argue with God. I said, God, it ain't gambling. I win. I mean, I literally, I, I won. And I came home from one of my escapades, and she was packing her clothes. I said, what are you doing? She said, it's, you're never here. You only come home to get some more clothes and leave again. I said, I just, I, I'm not going to live this way. I'm going back to my parents'. I just went to the other side of the bedroom where my closet was. I drug out an old suitcase, started throwing clothes in it. She looked across, true story, looked across the bed at me and said, what are you doing? I said, honey, if it's too tough for you, it's too tough for me, I'm going with you. <laughs> true story. And we sat down and cried and made a commitment. Divorce would never 
come in our house. We didn't get born again for quite a few years after that. But we made a covenant with each other that we were going to yield to God. And you know what? God so fortified our marriage that he one day sent us to a place called Dyersburg, Tennessee. Anybody ever heard of there? Let me just tell you about it. When we moved there in 1990 and pioneered a brand new church there, it was the number one divorce city in the whole nation. And we spent 15 years pouring into people's marriages and seeing them healed and giving them strength with that because we took of the things that had become strong in our marriage. That's what God's going to do with the two of you. You're a strong man. Your raising made you strong. It was hard. Whoever raised you, it was hard to toe the line at times. You didn't feel like you ever measured up, but you did. And God's proud of you. He's got some great things ahead for you. And he wants you to be strong. He wants you to be strong. You're going to be strong for the men. And just like with me, I once was beaten and put in the hospital for six weeks because I made a statement no one could make me cry and five men, it's in the book, five men tried to beat me to make me cry. In two weeks in the hospital, my best friend, Louis Francis McLean Jr., I just love saying his name. (laughs) My best friend of life came into that hospital room and finally one eye would crack just enough I could sing. You know what the first words out of my mouth was? Louis, they didn't make me cry. Arrogance gone to seed. And then I got healed up and I kept journeying and I ran into a man that walked softly and carried a big stick. Jesus. And he's made me cry every day. Your tears are your strength. They're not your weakness. You're going to be known as a weeping prophet. You're going to be known tears that flow freely because this heart of compassion in you. But I heard the Lord when I first called you up or before I called you up, I saw you back there and I heard the Lord say this, this year, 2022 is the year of promotion. There's an inheritance due you. Something that didn't come that was supposed to come. It's a windfall. God said, trust me, I'm not through working in this situation. And the Lord said, I'm going to bring you to a place of promotion, 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 promotion. 2022 is the beginning process of promotion from God. Get ready. I'm going to take the compassion that's within the both of you and pour it out on people to see their marriages healed, to see relationship between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters healed, says the Lord. I'm going to bring you to that place. Amen. have one other word, and then I'm going to pray over you. I know I'm going a little long. I preach the everlasting gospel. I heard the Lord say there's a place you steal away to. It's a place where the water runs and the trout swim. It's a place you sacrifice to acquire. It's a place that when times are hard, rejection is hit you in times bad, you just go there and sit. You've sat and cried, but you've sat and dreamed. The Lord said, it's your place. 
for I'd helped you acquire it and I'll help you build on it, says the Lord. For truly it's a place where the water does run and the trout do swim, but it's also a place that you've made some covenants with the Lord. And the Lord said, I don't have to remind you of the covenants because you remind him of those promises that he's made to you. And the Lord said, as you begin to move into this daughter, he said, get ready. The time of completion is coming in your life. For I shall bring the man into your life that shall cherish you. And in doing so, it will complete you and it will cause your dreams to be fulfilled. For ministry is ahead for both of you, says the Lord. Watch what I'm doing and what I'm about to do. But go and dream on that land and prophesy to that land and say, house, come forth from the land. And watch as I give you a miracle. I hear the Lord saying, don't dream too small, dream big. And the Lord said, I'll give you the desires of your heart for you truly delighted yourself in me, says the Lord. Father, I thank you for the honor of being here. Lord, just like the name, my prayer was coming here that I would not proclaim my ministry, but I would proclaim Jesus today. I hope something I've said, something I've done has been the image of Jesus in the hearts of your people. Father, I just pray that this mantle of being empowered to live. I just, I've got to follow the Spirit. The lady right back here, you were up on the worship team right here, ma'am. You, would you come up? I'm pretty sure I know who you are, both by the Spirit and I think I saw a child. But the Lord said, for even as I've given you the hair that stands out, I've called your life to be an exclamation point. And the Lord said, you know how to be quiet, but you're better when you're loud. And the Lord said, you're coming into a season of loudness. For I'm going to take the prophetic things that you see and know, and I'm going to pull a, put an amplifier in front of your voice, in front of your mouth. I'm going to amplify the things that you share. And the Lord said unto you, says unto you, I'm going to cause you to begin to not only dream, but to interpret your dreams. The Lord said, you're a dreamer. I put that in you, but the Lord said the dreams are going to another level. The Lord said, I will take the diary where you write these dreams and there'll be times the Lord will speak to you and you'll go back. And I, I'm just giving you some of my instructions. Date them. When I wake up and I remember a dream, uh, it, especially during the night, I, I, I write down what time it was and I also smell, because sometimes I'll smell fragrances in the room and they speak and help me interpret the dream. God's going to do this with you. He's going to cause you to become louder and louder and louder. It won't be out of order. It'll be in order because you are a woman of order. Your house is one of order. And so God wants you to take this step of boldness. Will you come here and just stand with her? I, 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 I am seeing the Spirit, right? This your wife? Okay, all right. I'd hate to miss it. Because I haven't met you. 
with them. But I, I just see a, a prophetic dynamics that she's carrying. It, it's about to explode. There's been times past when it, it, it has exploded and prevailed, but the Lord said it's going to be more constant. For I'm, I'm, I'm bringing forth a courage. Soon when you come and stand with us, I'm bringing forth a courage uh, both in her so it will come out of her. Susan, testimony with it, she struggled because I'm so strong and straightforth and all that, and she struggled. And I talk all the time. That's what that meant. And uh, with it, and she did. And then when she finally got the touch of the Lord, it began to change with her. And you, you're a strong, strong, strong woman. And God's going to take those strengths that's in you, and He's going to amplify you. In fact, this is a play on words. I, I, I think He told me, but I, I don't even remember your first name. Huh? Tahila. Tahila? Okay. What does that mean? Praise. All right. I should have knew that. But let me tell you what you are when you come in the room. You're an amber alert. That's what God told me. He said, you know, when you speak, you release an amber alert. And, and, you know, when we see these amber alerts, they're about children and it gets our attention. But the amber alert that you're going to bring forth that God's in the room. God is saying something. God's presence here. The Lord said, I, I'm going to use you. I see something coming up has to do with women, like a woman's meeting. And God's going to use you even in it as an amber alert. So get ready to release that which you're carrying. Father, bless this man and woman. Bless them with strength. Bless them with a deep moving of God. Bless them, Father, to birth out of their spirit sons and daughters, sons and daughters, sons and daughters, disciples, disciples, disciples. Bless them, Father, and let this amplifier. I just see you with like a megaphone in front of your mouth because God's, the words are going to be so profound you release. They're going to amplify themselves, says the Lord. Stretch your hand this way. Say this with me. Bless them, Lord. Bless them indeed. Bless their children. Bless their home. Bless everything you lead them to set their hand to. In Yeshua's name. Amen. He mentioned to me, I don't always remember. I'm not a good salesman, but I have four books back there. One's on activating the prophetic. I'm going to be talking out of it a little bit tonight. Yeah, it's all about how to recognize the voice of God. Every person, every church of Christ is prophetic. Every Baptist is prophetic. Every Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Catholic, they're prophetic. They have a relationship with God, they're prophetic. Because the prophetic is about hearing from God not just about speaking for God. Talk on that some tonight. One of the books is called Relational Authority. Uh, just an incredible book. I, I wish Matt would have wrote it, or Regina would have wrote it, so I could really promote it. It's my life. Some, uh, we gave a businessman a copy of it. My son worked for him. A dilemma came on the job one day. Twelve men were going to walk off. 
my son went to the owner of the company. He said, would you just turn this over to me? One of the reasons was he didn't want to be without laborers, and they got paid a bonus for every day they finished jobs soon. So the business, the owner of the company, businessman went back to the office. The guy stayed. They finished three days early, got a $3,000 bonus. A few days later, my son was in the office, and the owner of the company said, hey, I've been reading your dad's book on relational authority. He said, you've read your dad's book. That's what you did the other day to keep those guys there. This was my son's answer. He said, I ain't read or paid that book, and I ain't going to read or page that book. <laughs> he said, I've been living with that book all my life. So I thought that was a pretty good testimony for the, for the book. Uh, one of the principles in it is the Lazarus. We call it the Lazarus principle. If you have a relationship with someone and they disappoint you, upset you, frustrate you, deal with it in three days because Lazarus stunk on the fourth day. One of the things in the body of Christ, we procrastinate. We don't deal. We apply this in our own marriage. We don't go. She's not going to hear me tell her that two weeks ago, I didn't like what she could. I mean, we just don't do that. We deal with things promptly, and it's key. Another book is back there is God's Dreams for America. God Dreams for America. It's a lot of the dreams I've had. I thought when I had these dreams, it was prior to the last elect 2020 election. It didn't just apply to that. Some of the dreams are being worked right now and we're seeing things worked out. There's a prayer group in Arkansas going through that book right now and praying the dreams, and they're seeing prayers answered. And then the fourth book is called The Real Deal. It's the life, death, and resurrection of Clay Nash. I didn't write it. My publisher did. After the book was written, we took a year massaging names to protect the innocent, massaging names to protect the guilty, and checking on statute of limitations because I didn't want a prison ministry from the inside out. Before I was saved, I had a history, but I'm thankful that he took my history and cast it into the sea of forgetfulness never to be brought up again. And so it's a great book, testimony of it. A woman's son, when he was 18 years old, murdered multiple people. He did a plea deal and got life so he wouldn't get a death sentence. She went and visited him. She'd call him all the time. She'd talk to him about Jesus. He said, Mom, Jesus can't save me what I did. She mailed him my book. He read it. He called his mother crying. He said, Mom, I want Jesus. He said, if God can save this man, he can save me. It's just a book of redemption. My publisher who wrote it, Jim Bryson, I told him, I said, that one testimony is worth the book. That one testimony is worth the book. Because that young man might spend his whole life, he can never get parole in prison, but he knows he knows Jesus, I believe he's gonna become an evangelist. They're in prison. And there's other testimonies that's come out of it, but the four books are back there. Is it right, get all four? If you buy all four, they're $10 a piece, and I think they're $15 if you buy them individually, or 12 and a half, something like that. Huh? Uh, you can write a check to CNM. There's a credit card machine back there. Uh, you can give us an IOU as long as you don't date it past when Jesus returns, all right? Thank you, bro. I mean, you guys are blessed this morning. Amen. If you can make it back tonight, we welcome you. We'll be starting at 6 o'clock, and um, we welcome you to come back and just join us, hang out with us, and hopefully uh, we'll see you guys again tonight. Lord bless you and keep you.